Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Welcome, everyone. My name is Andy Olivastro. I'm the Director of Coalition Relations at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you for joining us today for our webinar, Navigating Through the Storm, Strategies for Resilient Organizations. Uh, first, we'd just like to say we hope everyone is well and healthy and that your family and friends are well and healthy during this time. Um, I'm going to do a couple quick housekeeping notes, uh, and then we're going to get into our program. Uh, first, uh, this session is being recorded. It'll be available on the website within the next 48 hours. Uh, we are uh, welcoming you to submit questions throughout, and please use the uh, tool on the right-hand side that asks for questions. Please ignore the raise in the chat feature and focus on submitting the questions through the questions tab. Uh, you are, as an audience member, in a listen-only mode, uh, but we will get to questions throughout, and we encourage them throughout. And uh, now I'd like to introduce our guests. We have with us Ann Fitzgerald and Scott Wolf, and we've chosen these guests because they are seasoned leaders. And when you're navigating the storm, you want to talk to seasons. Uh, Anne is founder and president of AC Fitzgerald. She is a trusted partner and advises dozens of nonprofits and funders. And she has nearly three decades of experience across a whole suite of responsibility, sales, management, fundraising, publishing, and marketing. And she serves on multiple boards and has served in leadership roles at the Heritage Foundation. So we're pleased to have her with us. Welcome, Anne. Thank you very much. Delightful to be here and to be on this panel with Scott. And thank you to everyone else out there for all the work you're doing to maintain your healthy and functioning nonprofits. We need you and America needs you. And in this current environment, we all wish Anne a happy birthday. Oh my goodness, thank you. And gifts are accepted. Thank you. <laughs> Gifts by email. Uh, and, uh, we're also pleased to have Scott Walter with us. Scott is president of the Capital Research Center. He served as a special assistant to President George W. Bush for domestic policy and in a prior role was vice president for publications and research at Philanthropy Roundtable. Scott has a deep background in the think tank space and in organizations in the liberty movement. And at the helm of the, of the Capital Research Center, his team examines how foundations, charities, and other nonprofits spend money and get involved in politics and advocacy. Scott, welcome, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, it's great to be on with you two, and it's especially great uh, to be teamed up with all the great folks on the call who I know have really critical missions for America uh, that are more important now uh, than they were before. Wonderful, great great segue into to the first question I would ask, and Ann, I'll start with you. You know, you're the leader of an organization. What's different today than two months ago? Well, I'll speak from both, uh, you know, my own organization, but also just all the nonprofits I'm in touch with. And, and one, in, in one area, we just have to reinvent how we are carrying out our work. Um, this is both operationally and programmatically. Um, and secondly, we have to think of new ways to communicate, and we have to figure out how to better communicate internally 
because we have so much of our staff is remote and how to keep them connected and engaged and inspired, but also all our external audiences, uh, our different constituencies, and for nonprofits, of course, that includes very importantly our donors. I'm sorry, I'm not hearing uh, you, Andy. Apologies, uh, Scott. You know, uh, same question to you. What's different today than two months ago? Uh, well, I agree with everything Ann said, uh, and I think I would just say as well, though, everything is different because the circumstances are really changed. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, nothing is different because you still have to achieve your mission. You still have your team, uh, and the the trick is to find new ways to, to achieve the same mission and inspire the same uh, staff and your broader, broader audience. Yep. I, I, I'm sorry, I, Andy, I didn't hear you. I think you're muted. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I, I was locking up on this end and, and so the screen was frozen and uh, and here we are. Uh, so I could hear your answer and that's wonderful. I, I think for the folks on, the, uh, on our webinar today uh, who are submitting questions already, so thank you very much. Um, the chapters that we sort of want to tick through after we've, we've covered off, you know, what's different today than than uh, perhaps two months ago is a series of management, money, and messaging. And so, from a management standpoint, you know, and if you could speak to that, you know, how do you frame this? Um, what do you think about during a time when you need to lead an organization through a crisis? If you think about from a management standpoint, what what is the tack that you take? Well, you know, Scott and I were talking about this, and, and you know, management it really is is about leadership. And I think at every level, and certainly the senior level, it's how we're looking at this and how we're preparing to respond both uh, short-term, medium, and then the long-term. And this is, uh, I think, a very key time to be thinking about how you're engaging your board, not only in informing them, but also how you're going to help them or encourage them to be part of the solution. Because in any organization, this requires some, I think some at times difficult decision-making. But I'll let Scott, I know Scott, you had some very specific things that you were talking about yesterday. Well, thanks, Ann. Uh, one thing is that leadership's inevitable. That is to say, if you're the leader, you are aiming the whole army behind you, whether you're doing it well or not. So if you're a leader, you have to lead. And leading means setting that direction. And practically speaking, that just boils down to priorities. What are the handful of most important things that your organization has to accomplish? And um, uh, I'll give an example from my own life. I was just a little research assistant at a major DC think tank, not Heritage, <laughs> um, back in the mid 80s. And uh, there wasn't, um, the economy was okay, but the finances at the think tank uh, were in very dire straits. 
And their response was very unfortunate because uh, they simply cut all the support staff from all of the uh, scholars in the whole place. No researchers, no secretarial assistants, uh, but the same cut to everybody. Now, that meant that they devastated every single scholar's productivity, that both the ones that were incredibly productive and accomplishing a lot, and the ones that were a lot less. So I hope that not many people on this call are going to be in that extreme of a circumstance, but the principle works for everything. What they should have done is picked what are the departments that we have that are the weakest. In, the, in the, this case, it was like the healthcare department was you know, just very poor compared to the others. They'd have been much better off simply saying, we're going to have to sacrifice the whole health department because it's not central to our mission or it's not achieving uh, in a big way. And then not savage the product the productivity for others so th that kind of priority setting that's extreme but still set priorities uh pick the best uh if necessary jettison the weakest uh the other just general point i would make is um uh, something some people call servant leadership now to some people that's going to sound like ned flanders and really wimpy uh but actually i have a lot of hairy-chested marine friends uh, and they would say that it's actually what the Marine Corps does. And my favorite example is uh, there's a sacred rule in the Marine Corps. Not one officer eats until every enlisted man has. So if there has to be pain and inconvenience, uh, it should start at the top uh, because your willingness to sacrifice the top will inspire uh, sacrifice and devotion all the way down. You know, Scott, one thing that you said the other day to me, and I thought it made a lot of sense, you, you mentioned this idea of don't be penny wise, pound foolish when you're making some of these decisions. You know, and, you know, as people are working from home, there might be just simple and, and relatively inexpensive things that are going to help them have better connectivity to be more efficient. And I think that's important. The other thing is we know from past the past recession, other times, that you cannot stop fundraising. We, we don't want to be paralyzed. We don't want to say, oh, what to do? Maybe we can't ask people for money. I, I don't agree with that. I think this we need to think we're going to be talking more about money, but it's going to be very important to continue fundraising. And we know from the last recession, the organizations that kept fundraising came out much better in the long haul than, one, than the ones that stopped their fundraising. Yes, I would just give a, uh, a postscript to that. I was talking to my current CFO. Now, he was at a different think tank uh, back in 08 when there was the big crunch from the housing crisis. And again, he's the CFO. He's seeing the money flows. It was 18 months before they saw the hardest hit in their cash flow, uh, not right away. And I think, you know, in every crisis, there, it's very much a lagging indicator. You know, the, the money that's coming in now is what you've done for the last 18 months. So uh, Anne is exactly right. The last thing you want to do is ignore your fundraising now because it's precisely later that that's going to hurt the most. I think it makes a lot of sense to have a very uh, conservative, uh, have a, you know, a, a new budget. I mean, you just, the budget you had doesn't work anymore. Throw that away. Have a new budget, maybe a couple versions of it. But you know, the, what I'm hearing organizations doing right now is saying, you know, we're going to we're going to anticipate at least being down 10 to 20 percent in revenue. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it won't be that much. Maybe it'll be more. But at least 
to give yourself a benchmark and know what you may do or what your priorities or how your priorities might change at, for a budget that is reduced by that. Excellent points. You know, we, we've got a few questions that, that overlap on a theme here with board communications. And I think if we're thinking management, you know, that's a big piece of it. And Ann, you spoke to it. And, and Scott, you were talking about, you know, your CFO and what your CFO's experience was in another organization. But if I sum up these questions and kind of combine them together, is it now time for greater communication with your board? Or how do you sort of take into account from a management standpoint, communicating internally to your staff, but also to your board? Anne? I think it is a time to communicate more with your board. I mean, there's so many different boards and some are obviously much more engaged in the organization. But, um, you know, with any board, the rule of thumb is no surprises. So we, we want to be very transparent. We want to make sure they understand the, the challenges and the tough decisions. And, and this is go time for the board. You know, we want to be able to rely on them also for their expertise and things that they might be able to do themselves, whether they have the ability to make a greater pledge at this time, um, if they're able to activate other networks, uh, they have to be part of this solution. So I think, uh, you know, some some CEOs already have fantastic communication with their board, but yeah, I, I would imagine a, a number of groups are calling sort of an emergency meeting of the board to really lay out the the, the future financial picture. Now, I, I would second to all that. And the other thing I would say is, uh, again, you always want to be asking good questions of all your audiences. You want to find out what your donors care about. You want to care, you want to ask questions of your staff. What do you need? And you also want to be asking questions of your board. You know, what, what are you concerned about? What are you hearing with other groups that you're involved in? What opportunities do you think we have in front of us that we may not have noticed? So, you know, good leaders ask good questions uh, of everybody. Another question from Michaela Brooks, and, and her question is, what questions would you ask in order to think through what is needed to reinvent the way you do your fundraising? So we're talking a lot about, about tossing the budget that was your plan for the year, but what are some of the questions that you think through? How, how do you frame it even further? Uh, you know, Anne, maybe we'll start with you. Well, I, you know, I think when it comes to fundraising, um, a few thoughts there. First of all, Whoever told you fundraising was going to be easy, it's not. It never, it never was. So it, it's not impossible now, but it's a little more challenging. Um, and like Scott said at the beginning, we're 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 not throwing away everything that we're doing. I was just working on um, an article recently about how to get started in fundraising, and what struck me was this: the, the fundamentals haven't changed. We still need to build relationships. We still need to inspire our donors and give them a compelling case for support. And we still need to ask for the gift. These mm -hmm. fundamentals haven't changed. The methods might have. So I think at this point, our, our priority is really to make sure that we are very much communicating with our donors and reaching out. There's lots of ways we can talk about doing that and what are some of the opportunities. But this is really an opportunity to, to get as close as you can with donors. You know, I, I second all of that, and um, uh, I would also re repeat just another very basic fundamental that I always tell people starting out in fundraising. 
never think of yourself as the beggar on the street with your hand out saying, you know, can you help me? You know, I'm uh, I'm I'm a nice guy, or 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 you know, don't you feel sorry? Or, or especially now, we'd be tempted to say, don't you feel sorry for me because you know I'm struggling with my budget here. You're never asking for a handout. You're always providing a great investment opportunity for the donor. Invest with me, and together we will accomplish this great mission. Um, that's that's so fundamental, and the feeling sorry for yourself and asking for pity is not is never the strong way to go about it. And that's a great point, and I think that starts with having really a bold idea. You know, you, this is a time for boldness. This is a time for sharing with your donors and potential donors what what it is that you're doing, why your work is so critically important, and also don't assume that every donor out there is in the same boat financially. Um, some people are not as affected by this crisis and can con continue to give and, and indeed might increase their giving. You know, this, this raises something that and you, Scott, and I talked about in, in sort of preparation for this. It's, it's also understanding when to ask the right questions of your donors, right? So you're not out there necessarily with your handout, but you also need to have a conversation with them because their circumstances vary donor to donor, but also and what they're interested in and what they're going to invest in at this time. And what, do you, what are your comments on that? Well, first of all, you know, one of the things I was thinking over are what are, what are the silver linings of this pandemic? So I'm not gonna use the word opportunity, the opportunities in the crisis, but the, the, the silver linings. And I'd have to say one of the biggest silver linings right now is that donors are at home and somewhat accessible. This is so incredibly unique. Whether you're a donor or a fundraiser, you're in the same boat. So you're, you're accessible. The donors, uh, in, in some ways, are looking for some diversion. They're looking for outreach, communication. So at this point, if you haven't called or attempted to call or reach out to every one of your donors, you're really missing out. We want to make sure that, that we're building this relationship with them and you know again we don't want our first call to them as saying hey how about a gift but more checking in how's everything going and let let me share with you what we're doing and this again our bold ideas moving forward and 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 the critical importance of our mission so this is a great time to connect with them and I, I think after listening to them, as we all want to do in fundraising, we will have a perception of whether or not this is a good time or not to be um, asking them for a gift. So, uh, you know, we got to think about at the other end of this, when they, they let us out of jail and we can move around the country, are your donors, you know, what? who are the first people your donors are going to see? Is it like the fundraiser who never talked to them for months? Or is it going to be uh, the the fundraiser who's been building that relationship over a period of time. Scott, do you have thoughts on that? No, I that's that's excellent. That's exactly the right way to think about it. Uh, ask questions, engage, stay connected. I mean, again, you should be doing all that always. Especially, you should be doing it now. And uh, I, I will say, I think overall we're having a fair bit of luck with. Um, uh, reaching people that weren't always easy to reach uh, previously. Um, the other thing I would say is don't, you know, I mean, be a realistic plan for contraction, but um, I think some of the larger institutional donors are gonna, uh, are gonna do their best to not cut drastically um, because, you know, if you're a foundation, you don't suffer the same kind of shocks 
that others do. I, I can tell you, as somebody who studies the left, um, the left brags, or not, I should, sorry, not brags, the, 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 the left praises the way conservative foundations in past crises mostly maintained their level of giving. And the last uh, president of a large foundation I spoke with a week ago, uh, she gritted her teeth, but she said, you know, we're going to try to keep to, to not cut back this year. It's it's it, Anne was scratching at it, right? It's it's the famous Rahm Emanuel line about you know taking advantage of of a crisis, uh, but it was I believe Albert Einstein who said, "In the midst of crisis lies opportunity." And so and so thinking differently and applying you know a different thought process, uh, whether it's always the same one or or just you know a faster approach to it uh, is interesting. What what are you what are you hearing about organizations? Then we have a specific question from Jim Palace who says. What about advice for seeking new donors at this time? So, so not even just keep maintaining contact with your existing donors and with your existing membership, but what if you want to go out and, and seek new donors? You know, any specific thoughts to that? Well, what what I've seen is most organizations seem to have taken a, 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 and just one aspect of donor acquisition is direct mail prospecting. And what I've seen is organizations have taken a bit of a pause on that because. Again, traditionally, when you know in times of crisis, people kind of gravitate to things that they're already giving to, or hopefully helping those organizations a little bit more. But I, you know, I, I think that's we're going to come through that soon, and I and I'm starting to see some new prospecting mail come out. So I think in, in terms of that, I think that is going to be an opportunity moving forward. Like all direct mail, you want to test it, test small, see see what kind of response you're getting, but. You know, if you're like I said, if your mission was important before, it's important now. And what if you're sharing your bold ideas with prospective donors that you've qualified on some level, this could be a great time to add in some new folks because hey, the election's coming no matter what. Uh, big issues are occurring, and certainly there are new and very critical issues that have emerged based on the policy decisions that have been made in the, these last weeks. Excellent. Scott, anything to add? Uh, again, I, I, I sank I all of that. I mean, your direct mail, especially the, the prospecting, but even your house file to your existing donors, again, you need to connect with the existing circumstances. But if you have a great mission, that mission still matters. And, and there absolutely are new, you know, exciting or disturbing new issues. Uh, one of my favorites, again, I study the left. The left's absolute top priority is vote by mail. They are over the moon at the possibilities for that. If you're a state level group uh, and your state is going to have to be making decisions like that, I, I sure urge you to get in and scrap with that. And again, donors, you know, there's no donor who doesn't think the 2020 election is now unimportant. I mean, they may be scared about their health. They may have an, an, an ill family member, and that is very important. And you want to you want to ask and connect about that, but they still are worried about what's going to happen in November of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe to piggyback that point about uh, you know voting uh, election integrity and changes that are taking place in voting systems. You know our friends at Ballotpedia are tracking a lot of this and a lot of the state activity um, and, and what state legislators are looking at doing and trying to do. Um, but one of those one of those sort of key questions is. 
you know, legislation during this time. And so how, how have you seen about, you know, the CARES Act or paycheck, paycheck protection? You know, what does that mean when, when you're messaging to donors and how organizations should sort of respond in that space? And what do you think? About nonprofits taking the paycheck protection? Sure, sure. I mean, we see a lot of that activity. Uh, yeah. you, know, a lot of, you know, a lot of nonprofits are sort of looking at that and this yeah. is something you know. Well, I think you know. I I think there's um there's a lot of nuance here, and uh, certainly uh you know for some organizations it's the right thing to do, and I'll I'll just say that I mean I know it's it, you know I'm I'm not um certainly an advocate of expansion of government, but we also have to stay in business, um and for some they're really at a, a crisis point. Um, back to some of the points Scott made about you know strong organizations and management and planning. Certainly moving forward, you've got to be thinking about building a reserve, because there's going to be other crises in the future. So having that six to nine month reserve, you know, obviously would have been a great thing to have at a time like this. But for some organizations, they're, they're going to take it. Um, you know, for others, if, if they choose not to, they can also talk to their donors and, and, and mention that they've decided not to take it. So they, they absolutely need um, more uh, donors to step up and support them. So you know, there's different opportunities out there, but I don't I don't know that I could judge an organization by taking it or not because it, it it's such an unusual situation. You know, I I think uh, Anne's right, and um, uh, again, this you know you're you have to be realistic, which means honest, uh, and then you also have to be optimistic. So. Uh, you know, we're not going to take it uh, because we love to brag that we're 35 years old and we've never taken one penny from any government group. And if that's what you're doing, then you should be honest and communicate that. And on the other hand, if under the extreme circumstances you think it's necessary, then, you know, I would be optimistic. I would say we're going to pay every penny back. You know, this is, you know, we're, this isn't dependency. Uh, you were, uh, this isn't, um, uh, this is partly private sector. And, uh, but we, we have to for these reasons, but we're paying it back. Yeah. Excellent. You know, uh, one of our, one of our listeners and participants, Herschel Daniels has asked a few questions. Um, and so Herschel, I want to get to this one. You, you, you know, according to some of the research that, that Herschel's done, you know, during the last recession, funding for nonprofits dropped and, and certainly, you know, that's, that's noticeable. Um, Herschel says there's never been a time in, is this in modern history. How can the conservative movement advance in the community of Americans of African heritage? And I think, you know, maybe to broaden it a little bit, you know, all sorts of organizations all the time are looking at what audiences are we reaching out to traditionally? What are new audiences that we should reach out to? And so, you know, I think maybe start with conservative organizations reaching out to, to audiences with the solutions that they believe are you know, the right ones for society as we try to reopen society especially but you know and if you could comment you know just in terms of when you are counseling organizations mm -hmm. how to reach new audiences you know what are some of the steps that you take and then after you answer god if you could think you know a little bit about how you how you look at you know audience segmentation and, and messaging and, and all that Right. Well, I, I, it's a great question because I think it, there's, I think many constituencies across America that conservative entities don't always reach very well. And even even though our message uh, would seemingly resonate well, um, I, you know, I, one of the things I would think about for any organization is, 
you know, begin with a good advisory board. Um, you know, start thinking about who could be very good connectors to the audiences that you want to reach. Um, you know, you can't sit in your, um, you know, with the, sitting around the table with the same people or, you know, at, from home or wherever you're sitting at, the, at this moment and, and, and figure out how to reach new audiences. I think you have to begin to bring in the audiences into your organization and help them be connectors or allow them to be connectors to new constituencies. And I, I think that's also um, connects to then what's the messaging and how do you how do you frame up what you're doing um, to be relevant to those audiences? It's probably going to be somewhat different and you have to really have a, an ear for that and get some um, feedback to be able to do that. Thank you, Anne. Scott, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, the, uh, a great example on the advisory board side, he's on our advisory board and lots of others. Uh, Bob Woodson has been a pillar in reaching uh, inner city audiences for decades. I mean, he was advising Jack Kemp back in the 70s and 80s, and he's, and he's still going strong. He's in a, uh, the next video we're gonna release, we've got is half the video is Bob. Uh, he is really smart at understanding how to tailor conservative messages to unconventional audiences. Uh, and there are other sharp folks like that, so that you, you, you need that uh, advising you and being your ambassador. The other thing, next thing I would say is, you may be surprised, learn from George Soros, study George Soros. And I, this for this reason, George Soros knows that, uh, you know, white evangelicals are never gonna be big supporters of the Soros agenda. But he also knows that if he can make just a little progress in that audience for his side, it can make a difference. So what does George Soros do? He funds left-wing evangelical groups and left-wing Catholic groups. He, he doesn't say, this is, the thing we should learn is, he doesn't say, oh, those folks will never care about me. They'll never, uh, you know, I can't reach them. He says, I'm gonna try, and I don't even have to have a huge success to make a big difference. So. It, I think it's a real shortcoming on our side that we write off all kinds of folks that we should not be writing off. And then the last thing I'd say is that, you know, again, study the left on this too. The left always is telling a story with everything. It may be cockamamie and totally false, but by God, it's a great story. And a story doesn't have that many parts. A story has, you know, for the left, they have victims. I prefer to say the suffering, not victims, but they'll have victims. They'll have villains, that's us. And then they'll have heroes and that's them uh, and the people that they support. So, and the donors. Yes, donors are heroes too. Absolutely. So those are the parts of a story and uh, and everything that we do, every message, has to be built around simple, clear stories where people suffer, people are helped, and other people are dangers. You know, there's a couple of questions that that piggyback right onto that message, Scott. And so I'll come back to you and then to Anne. You know, when you think about your messaging um, and you think about those stories, you know, how, how do you get your team to focus on you know, the right pieces of that and, and to sort of help shape that message? Well, a couple of things. Again, I, I stress each of those elements. Who is suffering? And let us show that we care about those people who are suffering. If you are a mom in an inner, in a big city in America, 
you are suffering with what education opportunities are in front of you. If you are a small businessman in the same areas, you face horrible obstacles. Uh, so you, who is suffering and, and connect to that suffering? And then explain some of the things that cause it and explain some of the things that can deal with it. And then also, in just in general, always think, what would the other side say, right? What is, what is the snarky left-wing podcast going to say if they see what I just said? And anticipate that and try to, try to uh, bring it up, that, the counter message, bring that counter message up and answer it before they can jump on you. Thank you, Scott. And thoughts on thoughts on that? How you how you think about structuring that message yeah. when you're client when you're working with clients? I'm sure you don't want to give away the store, but but what kind of process do you take them through? Well, I think you know what what Scott said. The villain, victim, hero. I think is 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 very much in, part of that. But also, you know, it goes back to um, you know starting off with this idea of what is one of the biggest problems facing our country today or your state, if you're state-based, and what is your organization doing to solve that? So you know, starting with that that core, that, that very clear core, because I think a lot of times organizations are, we always want to go out and start saying what we're doing before we describe why it's important. So, you know, there's a great book, Start With Why. You know, I, I recommend reading books on storytelling because you know, beginning to understand that and getting that connected in the organization. But even when when someone comes up with an idea within your organization, a project, you know, again, why is it important? Why is it urgent? What, what problem are you addressing? And, and why is this important to address now? Why do we have to focus on this and why should a donor care? And that, I think, begins to get them thinking in that in that mode. And that book was Start With Why. That's one of your recommended recommended reading, man. Start yes. with why. Scott, do you have a recommend while we're on it? Do, we, do you have a recommended book for, for our listeners and our people the folks with us today? Uh I I do. I, I don't like many business books. I think most of them are are pretty cheesy and they, they just sell one cliche that they hope will be this year's cliche. Um, but the Jim Collins books, uh, especially Good to Great, I think is really valuable uh, because what he does is he looks at sustained organizations with sustained excellence and then works backward what got them there and there's uh there he has done a little skinny monograph called good to great for i think it's called the social sector he means the nonprofit world so because obviously nonprofits are not the same thing as you know walgreens or something but uh i think that he has a few very basic principles that the two that i would pull out is his absolute top thing is nothing is more important than having the best people you know, there are businesses that will hire you. If you come in, you interview, and they think, wow, you're awesome. I have no idea what we're going to do with you, but you're awesome. And they'll still mm -hmm. hire you because nothing is more important than getting those high-performing uh, high individuals. And then the, the other thing that he makes a point about, and it fits with what Ann was just saying, uh, to be a great organization, you need to be one of the best in the world at what you're doing. So mm -hmm. as Ann says, you know, figure out why is this going to make a difference? How are we going to change the world with what we're doing? Excellent. So I, I want to take a quick second to thank everybody for all the questions. We're going to get to as, as many as we can, but I will try to group some so we can cover off on some themes. And I see a few that relate to what our good friend Chris Summers in Maryland has, has sort of asked. And he says, you know, with the focus on uh, COVID, 
will you see either a shift in foundations from giving to issues like tax and budget or economy, or even a shift for in, within organizations themselves to focus on those sort of issues. So do you, do you, do you anticipate seeing that? And from what you've seen in, you know, in the past, will organizations sort of shift where they give, but also shift what they focus on? I mean, Scott is probably the best expert on foundations overall. I guess I just have had some conversations with foundations. I see the same thing. They have certain principles. They might have some special grant opportunities. They want to be responsive to their grantees. But the key principles that they're following, I think, will remain the same. I don't think they're going to totally shift gears. And um, I think that they're just, if anything, they'll just, um, you know, I think give groups a little bit more flexibility because they're they're all addressing this um, in different ways. Yes, I mean, the, the one of the virtues of the foundations on our side, uh, and it's why, you know, they're they're dwarfed by the left wing foundations, but they're probably, but they're about as effective. So it means they're obviously doing much better. And one reason for that is that, you know, they pretty much stay the course. You know they're not zipping back and forth to whatever the latest cliche is, whereas the lefty foundations do that a lot. So I don't think you're going to see dramatic differences. I would say one thing, which is that because uh, this will really matter, especially for those folks who are in, in, you know, worried about where what position they're in now. It is completely reasonable to go to your foundations and say, hey, can we have a little flexibility? additional flexibility on how we're going to be spending the money you've already given us or can we have an extension of the deadline for reporting on the, uh, the you know the reports on grants we owe you i would look for asking for flexibility rather than major shifts or i have i've already submitted a proposal before covid-19 can i give you an update as to how we're addressing that or maybe how some of our programs have changed a bit you know, it, it's interesting if if we do if we think about you know not knowing where this pandemic will take us but you know the conversation is shifting to how do we open society up are there other lessons from you know 0809 Scott you mentioned that with your CFO and their experience and and Ann, you've touched on you know the prior experience but are there other lessons from those previous you know crises or recessions and whatnot that you would that you would call to mind you know and, and steps to take well i think we are all dealing with immediate changes right now you know that we've had to to deal with operationally or whatever but there's going to be some enduring changes too and that might be in how we have events or if we have events it could be related to um, how we have meetings or meet with donors and certainly how we communicate with them there's been a dramatic shift now in donors and their 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 comfort level with communicating through zoom or go to meeting or some other uh, web-based service so um, I think what we need to think about as organizations are what are those enduring changes and, and if we can project them some way so we can look at those things and then say, okay, we, we got this and then how can we strengthen our organization around these things? Um, because I think that's what in 2008, I think a lot of people um, took some lessons away, but you know, there's still some challenges out there and cer certainly in building operating reserves that, um, you know, not not every group was able to do. Yeah, I I, I want to piggyback on the op operating reserve thing. As some, I mean, 
I read hundreds of 990s a year. I see it. I look at a lot of nonprofits and all, all the nonprofits seem to fall into two categories. Those who have a lot less than six to nine months of operating reserve and those who have a lot more. Um, so one thing I think that should change from this is if you've got a really, if you don't have an operating reserve, that needs to be a medium to long-term priority. And if you do have an excessive operating reserve, you need to be thinking about a responsible spend down of that. Yeah, again, I want to get to a lot of these good questions, so so they're not necessarily in, in order. Uh, Moira Delaney was asking, who who are we talking about, Bob? What was his last name? That was Bob Woodson. But it does connect with, Bob has done wonderful work uh, in the conservative movement uh, for a long time. Um, and, um, and if you want to comment on him again, Scott or Ann, please do. But maybe in conjunction with the question from Mario Lopez, where um, he's sort of offering the counsel that if we want to reach new audiences, we have to think about how we empower new audiences. And so maybe if you could just talk about some experience you've had in your, in your career with you know reaching new audiences again, or you know with a client Anne who who you know specifically wanted to pursue that from a grant making uh, opportunity, you know what what kind of a lens do you put on that? How do you find organizations or find effective ones, um, you know, to pursue that goal? Well, you know, I, I think a lot of times you know, one of the best things we can do is learn from others. You know, and, and I I know um, you know back a few years ago there I think there were a, a, a lot of you know while there's always been organizations that reached young people I think people thought we're missing a lot of young people. So it, like if you look at that as one constituency, there's been a number of very good organizations that have built over the last you know five ten years. Uh, very strong outreach. In, in addition to the, the, the these larger institutional ones like Young America's Foundation and ISI that have been around for years, but there's a lot of new groups are trying to reach this constituency. So one of the best advice I always just say to people is learn from others. I mean, we're a great network. Reach out to someone, reach out to the CEO, have a conversation saying, how did you best get into those audiences? Um, because it, it's it's a long-term strategic play. It's not it's not one and done. You're not going to say, well, now this week we're going to reach out to this audience. You know, we we really have to make a commitment to that. Scott, any any thoughts and comments? Yes, the a couple quick things. It is Bob Woodson, uh, the Woodson Center for Neighborhood Enterprise. I know the first thing that Bob would say in answer to your question of reaching new audiences is he would say, ask whether you have the right messengers. Um, which is to say, you know, I may not be the best messenger myself for an inner city audience. So uh, that's where people like Bob can be really helpful. Um, another thing, you, uh, Mr. Lopez's question there about uh, tell people how you're going to help them. Yes, again, that's the, that's the whole thing. What are the problems they're facing and what solutions to their problems do you have? Uh, that's important. A third thing, what uh, Ann was just seconding, what Ann was saying uh, a moment ago, you know, technology is changing. Uh, one of the ways, you know, my think tank doesn't have stuff that's automatically seems obvious for young uh, audiences, but uh, I'm very proud. I brag to donors every visit about how our little two minute social media videos, they're animated, they're short, uh, and they're on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you have to have new means to reach those audiences uh, as well. And uh, again, I know that's something that some folks on our side are doing great and other folks are, don't, as far as I can tell, are not even thinking about it. 
you know, it, this is, you, you know, we're, we're coming up in, on the closing stretches here. A lot of good questions still coming in, but, but I want to give you each a chance to kind of frame uh, the conversation that we're having in, in terms of, you know, we sought the two of you out because you're seasoned leaders with great experience. And when you think about management, money, and messaging, you're talking about components of leadership. And so, you know, Anne, if you want to sort of offer, you know, what's that takeaway that you want people to, to, to take from this conversation? And Scott, you know, then if you could do the same, um, you know, I think if we have any other questions that come in that, that I can narrow down. We have a lot of questions about other good books and recommendations. And so I'll propose that we sort of collect that list and we'll share it. Uh, as best we can. And then you'll see our email addresses on there if you'd like to contact Ann, Scott, or I directly. But but I think to, to sort of wrap up the conversation and keeping with our schedule, Ann, um, you know, what are some thoughts that you want for everybody to take away? And then Scott. Yeah. I, do, I mean, the main thing is, you know, stay the course, but be flexible. You know, there, there's, so, there's things that have changed and so many things that have not. And, and most things have not really. You know, so we have to have flexibility. Also know that the the same solutions that might apply to heritage may not apply to you. Um, so take, you know, learn from heritage, learn from leaders that are doing large, um, you know, op, taking advantage of different opportunities, but we also have to tailor them to our own organizations and our own situations. So that's, that's the big thing. And then uh, just a quick thing before we leave, certainly think about plan giving. And I don't have time to go into why that is, and we have to be sensitive about it. We've written a blog about it on our website, but um, Scott Walter has a great book from Capital Research Center on planned giving. Um, he can hold it up, I think. <laughs> and it's about donor intent. So, you know, uh, by all means, talk to him about that too, because he makes it available to nonprofits. Thanks for the plug there, Ann. And yes, that book you just saw, we will give you free, any conservative nonprofit can have free copies. We'll even customize it, you know, compliments of Ann Fitzgerald, whatever you want. Uh, you know, uh, compliments of the, the the one I held up was the Claremont Institute, right? Compliments I get 500 of copies of that book for my birthday. I'm not going to be happy, Scott. I already have <laughs> So we, we, we are happy to do that because it lets you, and, and the whole way it lets you help your donors is it lets you say, you guys have a problem. You're gonna leave a legacy behind, but a lot of donors' legacies were squandered. Um, and we, the, our organization, whichever organization you're with, we can help you with that problem uh, and by having a good conversation about how to uh, think through your legacy. So, um, and again, that's, you know, what you're really asking the donor is, what are your priorities, Mr. or Miss Donor, right? And that's the, that's my ending word on leadership. Leadership is just having a very few priorities, a handful, and then not varying from that. You know, I mean, being flexible how you get there, but keeping your priorities straight. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Scott, and thank you, Anne. And I, I'll again reiterate that our emails are on the screen. Uh, we have a lot of questions about uh, some specific ones about. Uh, branding for 501c3s and other books to read and everything. So I would encourage folks, thanks to Scott and Anne for offering their email addresses here, but also oh. feel free to contact me directly. Um, my email address is there, andrew.olivastro at heritage.org. I'd be happy to connect you with Scott and Anne and other resources that we have at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, again, we hope that everybody's doing well during this time. Uh, I think we have, a, we have a lot of questions we didn't get to, so we might want to do round two on this. We'll have to talk about that. But again, Anne, thank you very much and happy birthday. Scott, thank you very much. Good weekend.
Thanks. Good to be 25. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and with that, we'll sign off. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.